0: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to a special Tuesday episode of That Trippi Show. Today, we have a guest with us who's been covering the front lines of the GOP madness uh, that we've discussed in recent weeks, uh, Greg Sargent, reporter, columnist, author of very prescient book, The Uncivil War, and hosts Washington Post's Plumline blog, uh, which I read religiously and would urge you all to do as well. Greg, the top story has been just the continuing devolution of the GOP, you know, into the party of Trump. You've covered this in all the machinations on the Hill extensively. And, and like I said, I mean, uh, your, your book, it came out in 2018, but see, it just seems more prescient every day. What, Where is this all going in your view?
1: You know, I think we can't say for sure. We've got to try to be hopeful, but it's getting harder and harder to be hopeful. Uh, You know, there's a couple things that are really on my mind these days. And and one is the degree to which Republicans have kind of entirely exited the conversation about some of the country's biggest problems. They're off talking to their uh, sort of separate information universe about Dr. Seuss, about woke corporations. Uh, meanwhile, this kind of big, broad, center-left coalition is trying to pass big things to, to rescue the economy, put it on a much more uh, even keel for, for future generations, or at least future years, and uh, defeat the COVID that Trump failed to defeat, and what I worry about is that Republicans essentially have decided that they can win back power without being part of any of these conversations.
0: I mean, you said way before, I think, just about anybody that, um, you know, they're pursuing, we're pursuing a counter-majoritarian strategy. One, you were clearly right about that. It's no accident. But, it, you know, ha- if that's the case, though, and it's a single party, trying to you know counter the majority trying to end it i mean voter suppression laws uh audits and all, all the craziness that's going on it, it really does put the, the the democratic party it's like it's got to be all things right it's got to be the moderate it progressive wing somehow coming together and being literally two parties in one party where they actually negotiate and try to Try to reach agreement so that they can they can stop the what the, or at least pass things because it's now clear the Republicans or there are no votes there are very few um, to get any of this stuff done.
1: Yeah, and and you know once the reconciliation um, deck of cards is all dealt, then then I think we start to hit some really serious problems. And and what I'm hopeful for is that that will actually focus the mind of Democrats a little more on the sort of degree to which Republicans are betting on anti-majoritarian strategies both to stymie everything Biden wants to do and then to take back power to grind his agenda to a halt entirely. It's a real problem that they they can win back power simply through a combination of voter suppression, extreme gerrymanders and outright disinformation to their base. At least I, I hope that's not true, but I fear it might be.
0: Well, one, well, I mean, it, you know, look, we, we we all know what how the, the deck is stacked just in terms of the, you know, normal things that happen in politics. Incumbent president in the midterm tends to uh, suffer yeah. losses of seats uh, after reapportionment. Either party would, if it had the, legisl- the right legislatures, et cetera, be able to draw lines that benefit one part or the other that happens to be Republicans again. It's just, a, you know, they have, they control majority of the places that are be gaining seats and be able to redraw lines uh, in a way that benefit them. And then on, on top of that, right, you, you then pile on the, the little counter-majoritarian things that they're doing. You know, super, these voters just swath after swath of voter suppression laws in state after state. Um, and again, just even with the phony audits, it's again just sort of eroding trust in the in the uh, election system itself and faith in in, in, in you know in, in the ballot box all that is sort of lining up to make what would normally be a tough year for for Democrats to hold on to the House majority just even tougher they seem to get that and so they see that clearly and they see the opening and they're taking every, every advantage they can and using every lever, moral, immoral, I mean, just everything that actually no moral that I can figure out, but just, you know, every lever they can to demolish and and wreck uh, any chance Democrats have at the same time, Democrats are trying to govern. You know, I, I know this is the hard part about this, I think, because as you know, I'm one of these people who's been like, hey, we need to talk to folks on the other side, our neighbors, our friends, people we haven't talked to in years uh, or gave up on uh, in 2016 or 2017 reach out to them. I still think that's something all of us need to do out there. But at the same time, they're being lied to. You know, constantly, In other words, they're different than, than the, the this lying leadership in the party. I mean, th- th- that we have to take on as the enemy, I think. Um, but at the same time, we've got to be able to talk, uh, and I mean, maybe Biden uh, is a help at, at this—is is to reach out to to voters that might have some qualms with what's going on and and, and decide that they that they're not the anti-majority um, authoritarian. They don't want to go where the the leadership in the Republican Party seems going where they're going at breakneck speed.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that I really wonder about what Democrats are doing now is whether they're essentially telling themselves, you know, we probably just have two years, so we better do as much as we can. Or uh, conversely, if they're saying, well, maybe if we if we do things a little bit in a little more of a restrained way, we have a chance at holding the House. I fear that there's a real danger in that second path, right? You know, if you just sort of try to tailor your agenda to try to hold the house. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't, wa- wouldn't want to say that they shouldn't, you know, try at all, but I worry that that the moderates and some of the frontline districts will end up holding them back on on the mistaken premise that that will somehow uh, enable them to hold seats and hold the house in the face of all these different structural issues, both the ones you talked about, the built-in ones that, you know, the first midterm of a of, of democratic control and the ones that I was talking about, the voter suppression, the extreme gerrymanders. It seems to me that Democrats should do as much as they can and and then just try their best to sell it as hard as they can.
0: The real problem here is like either of those strategies fail. Uh, we lose the House. I, I think democracy um, really is in, is gone with it. I, I mean, as we know it. I mean, and we're already in a much more dangerous space than I think uh, most people realize. Uh, even even the two of us. In other words, it, I think we lack the imagination to actually believe it could happen in the, in the United States of America. Um, and and so it can. And that's why I think 2022 may be in a lot of ways more dangerous to the democracy than 2020 was. And so like how, you know, looking at that, you know, H.R. 1, H.R. 4, trying to like, you know, have something to push back against all these states and these voter suppression laws seems pretty important, but then it gets tied up with Manchin and Seneca and in terms of the filibuster and all these other things. How do we wade through this? I mean, because that has to, I mean, somehow we've, your point of, we got to do it all, but part of doing it all requires people like Manchin and Seneca to 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 step up and say no. If you can't get bipartisanship because the other party is thwarting democracy every step of the way and 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 just you know throwing roadblock after roadblock to destroy you, you can't then say well because of bipartisanship, well we're going to save the filibuster because we're still fighting for that. So I, I do you see any hope or what you're seeing on the Hill?
1: I'll tell you what I'm thinking about right now. I'm, I'm actually hoping that that the debate over the January 6th commission uh, has a real impact on Manchin. There was an important quote from Manchin, I think in today's Politico, where he said something like, you know, I really, and I'm just, this isn't the, an exact quote, but he said something like, I really hope there are 10 patriots in the Republican Senate conference, right? And what I take from that is that there's at least a chance that if and when Republicans filibuster the current commission arrangement and 10 Republicans don't materialize to support it, that he'll have to actually reconfront that quote and ask himself, well, if there aren't 10 Republicans in the entire Republican conference, who are willing to uh, impose accountability and a full accounting of a violent effort to overthrow a US election and to overthrow democracy, then maybe I can't keep saying that we need the filibuster in order to facilitate bipartisanship. Yeah, you know, You'd think that he'd already be there. And, and in fact, he had this letter with uh, Lisa Murkowski uh, essentially saying something along the lines of, Protecting voting rights has to be bipartisan. It always has been. Now, of course, that erases the last 15 years of history, right, during which the Republican Party has turned into a party that's fully committed to rolling back voting rights wherever possible. But that aside, if he's going to define voting rights as something that has to be bipartisan, and there isn't even a possibility of a bipartisan commission to investigate this violent attack on democracy, then I think he's got to, at some point confront the limitations of, of his his theory of the case.
0: Well, you'd you'd, you'd hope so, but I, I I just think the other side of that is then you have a, a, the Democratic Party is so really so diverse and so wide open in terms of you know different groups, um, different wings. That then you know, the, you know, I I run into it. You know, people who want to get rid of Manchin and Cinema because they're they're not pure enough. They're not they're not going to go far enough. What they don't understand, just think this is like we can't become them. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it can't. We have to be able to find if you can't negotiate with Manchin, you, I mean, you're never going to be able to. I mean, look, he's not there. Great, that means you have a Republican senator in in West Virginia. Uh, we already see where that gets us. Uh, I mean, you know, so just be one less Democrat, you wouldn't even have uh, Kamala Harris able to to break ties. I think it's it's you know, so it's incumbent somehow that the party holds together uh, with discipline. But then you've again with this sort of fifty seat thing, any one, any two, and um, and something really critical like voting rights, the filibuster, you know, just just collapse. Uh, and and play straight into the GOP's leadership's hands. I think there's a a place for taking on all the... Obviously, I do. I started Operation uh, 147. But to go after the 147 of them and and perceive them as enemies of our democracy who voted to, to not certify the election, I think that's true. But at the same time, we've got to... I think, reach out uh, to the Liz Cheneys of the world. I mean, to sort of buttress up uh, the Republicans, the 35 of them uh, in the House that voted, uh, and not purge, not not push them away. No, there's like, it can't be all Republicans are bad, including including voters. I mean, is what I'm trying to say. This is basically, you've got years and years where they've been lied to, and misled, I you know, I keep telling people, had Barack Obama in 2016 held, a, held press conference after press conference and said that uh, Trump had stolen the election and that you, you needed to march on the Capitol, how many Democrats would have been, you know, because it's the president of the United States, our president, my president, saying this, um, it's got massive power. And they've had the, 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 these people have have been lied to uh, repeatedly by powerful people that they looked up to. And so how do we pull them, you know, pull them away while, while treating these lying leaders uh, for what they are, you know, and, and taking it to them. And that's why I think, you know, the, everybody's got a function out there. I think the Lincoln project bashing the hell out of those folks, uh, of the leadership is great. Yeah. The Liz Cheney's, you know, I mean, who, who call it out are great. We need, and, so far the democratic party's been fairly disciplined about hanging together on votes although we've had our first scare but anyway
1: i definitely agree and 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 you know there is a strain on us especially with certain segments of the online left right which which kind of just sneer at the idea of the lincoln project and you know whenever whenever a liberal praises Liz Cheney for standing up to her party, which, by the way, like, that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, (laughs) she's taken a tremendous amount of abuse. And to say that doesn't mean, like, to somehow hail Liz Cheney as a hero, right? And so, you know, there are certain online types who will say, LOL, Libs, allying with warmonger, right? You know, you see that constantly, and it's just utter bullshit, right? Because look, we need pro-democracy Republicans. And of course, a lot of what Liz Cheney stands for, we hate, right? And and it's also true that Liz Cheney's associated with a certain type of assault on the rule of law during the, the, the war on terror and so forth, that kind of goes counter to the idea that she's a great spokesperson for democracy. 100% grant that, right? But at the same time, what Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney and, and the Lincoln Project and And people like that are essentially saying, "Is you know, we disagree with you about everything, including what we do with the power of the state if we get it. But if you win an election, we'll respect it." And and that's sort of an important baseline.
0: Yeah, well, that's the the whole thing there. I think that's right. And you know, look here, I ran the Dean campaign. I remember against you know basically attacking Bush and Cheney or her father on the war. I have. Hold no quarter uh, with Liz Cheney on it, on just about any issue that I can I can think of um, that I would agree with with her on. But we're not in that that fight with her can happen on a vote on the floor in a debate on policy, which we had in two thousand four, and which you know you, you know I mean and on and on. But if you just sort of push the entire Republican Party away from you and not. Try to embrace uh, at least the, the pro democracy, the ones that are willing to stand up. And also, those people are, I think, important messengers to the two, three, 4% yeah. Republicans and independents who might be leaning slightly away from Democrats, but also. Do not, I mean, are appalled or are bothered at least by some of these anti, you know, counter-majoritarian uh, impulses that they're seeing in in the uh, the Trump party, um, and so we need those those folks to both, uh, you know, I think, attack the liars, but speak truth about how dangerous this period is and stand up you know across the board
1: Manchin is right to say i hope there are 10 patriots in the republican senate conference you know it'd be great if there were and i think he's right to say it and to even mean it right for that reason we want we need more pro democracy republicans we should we should say so when they do the right thing we we got we have to sort of be able to agree on at least the baseline that that we respect election outcomes that we hate.
2: Right. You know, it, it, Greg, one of the scarier things that I've read recently was what Paul Waldman wrote the other day on the blog was basically outlining, I think it was four or five steps on how Trump could win. And the last thing on there, it gets back to the whole idea that that we need these pro-democracy Republicans. Basically that like the last step is these pro-democracy republicans i'm thinking like the raffensburgers of the world are the ones who like are the fail safe at the end of the chain but it kind of seems like that's getting shakier every day
1: yeah isn't yeah. It? yeah i mean I, I 100% that's that's definitely i mean that that's a key component here in two ways right one is that it's absolutely true that that uh, this very small sliver of republicans who were willing to stand up to to tremendous pressure and and stand by the integrity of Trump's loss uh, were were important in in, uh, in in preventing them from stealing the election, right? But also, I think this also signals where some of this radicalization could go, kind of terror in a terrifying way, right? So you can really see a situation where state level Republicans and elections officials who the next time kind of stand up for the integrity of a Republican loss could be faced with even more harassment and abuse potentially with by state legislatures, right? And even a a Republican controlled Congress in one way or another. And so if and when that ramps up and becomes worse and the price becomes higher for these local Republicans to stand up and do the right thing, you got to figure that some of them are going to get toppled like dominoes, right? It's, it's a, it's a worrisome prospect.
0: Well, one first, they're already purging a lot of right. them. And then second of all, a lot of them are quitting, but the, it was still getting back to mansion. He he really is, I think going to be the key, the, the key on a lot of these. I mean, we, we all, everybody's recognized that we know it, but I mean, in ways that we may never imagine because either there are 10 Patriots in the Senate uh, who are going to vote for the commission. Or the only way anything happens at that point is if Manchin if that makes Manchin reconsider and think hard about the filibuster and and making the the reform that needs to happen under those yeah. conditions.
1: No, absolutely. And also, you know, on voting rights, too, right? Yeah. So let's just sort of assume that. He genuinely isn't there for HR1, filibuster or not, right? Maybe he's not. He's got his own idea, which is to uh, to to um, to restore voting rights protections that were gutted by the Supreme Court, but apply these kind of federal pre-clearance requirements to to all 50 states. I don't know. I'm. It's it's a little unclear to me how far that would get us. But putting that aside for the moment, right? What happens when that's filibustered so you know right so so like to return to, to what we were talking about before mansion is out there saying voting rights defending voting rights is bipartisan and so if he comes out with a very modest set of reforms and no republicans are there to support it i don't understand how he keeps saying that and then i think we have a shot at least of getting him to the point where he'd consider performing or ending the filibuster, maybe in a targeted way to do something like that. I, like, like I said before, I think that the, the January 6th commission is a good pressure point here because, I mean, that's such a vivid, you know, vividly horrible uh, kind of manifestation of this slide into anti-democratic sentiment that if you can't get Republicans to hold them accountable for that, Um, You know, and if you can't get Republicans to agree to a full accounting of this event, then potentially that's enough to finally persuade Manchin that basically the Republican Party needs to be given up on as a partner in protecting democracy. I
0: think we're there. The question is, can Manchin get there? Uh, I mean, can he see that? Uh, I mean, Will he take the off ramp uh, that he needs to take if they blow this up? Uh, it, you know Simon Rosenberg pointed this out, uh, and we talked about it uh, on you know our Friday podcast. That that one thing that's clear is the Republicans just keep refusing to take any off ramps, and are just continuing you know and careening down this you know towards total radicalization. I don't see them McConnell any of them taking any yeah, off ramp. I'll be shocked if there are ten Patriots there. Which means Manchin's got to be a, a, willing and able to take an off ramp on. Like, like you said, if they won't even, if they feel a even whatever modest proposal he puts out there, maybe it'll wake you yeah, up. Yeah. And I, by the way, I just want
1: to say that Simon Rosenberg is is really, you know, he's he's, he's been great on this stuff and, and his concept of off ramps, I think, is very helpful.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, 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 that someone else I think on Twitter, people should follow Simon uh, people should follow Greg, uh, and definitely, uh, Washington Post, uh, like blog is something I, I, I always, uh, try to read religiously. So, uh, people should, should follow up on that. And, uh, and Simon's over at NDI. It, we'll put some links in the show notes on this to let people know how to follow Simon on, uh, on Twitter and Greg and, and, uh, uh, links to the blog and to where you can uh, read some of the things Simon Rosenberg's been doing.
2: Hey, Greg, before before we let you go, I did want to ask, and we've gotten a lot of questions from readers, essentially, what else is going on on the Hill right now? And wanted kind of your take, because I know you're, you've been covering a lot of the stuff beyond the commission fight, what should we be expecting if anything in the next couple of months on any kind of bipartisan legislation coming through
1: well there's obviously the big china initiative it seems like that's going to happen but the one i'm really kind of keeping an eye on right now is the infrastructure stuff i think that's really in- interesting you know there i think there today we're supposed to find out if we haven't already that where the what the status of the talks are between uh, the White House and Republican senators, in terms of developing sort of a, a, a separate infrastructure package that's focused mainly on roads and bridges and stuff like that, um, that they could agree on. And I don't know how they're going to get there, but you know, if they were to get there, I think the d- the dynamic gets pretty interesting. What happens then? I think is you know, can Democrats kind of carve out a whole separate big Plan past that the the, the uh, caregiving stuff the uh, the the, um, the investments in decarbonizing the economy and so and R and D and stuff like that uh, by reconciliation. I, I tend to be skeptical that they can get a deal on on the small infrastructure the 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 sort of hard infrastructure, if you will. But what's interesting to me is that they really seem to want it. Right. I can't tell what Republicans are thinking on this. My guess is that there's probably a small number of those Republican senators who really would like to get their name on something like that. But it, all, it does seem to me, for better or worse, that Biden really wants to be able to say that he, he cut some kind of big bipartisan deal. And I know that that's gonna kind of get a lot of people sneering and stuff, but you know, it's not that crazy for some of these moderate house, to, and this is something I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Joe. You know, if I'm a House Democrat in a district that has a lot of Republican voters in it, I really want to be able to go out there and say, hey, you know, we negotiated a deal that got to create a bipartisan commission to look into this attack on the Capitol that got 35 House Republicans. I want to be able to say we did the deal for $800 billion in infrastructure that that passed with Republican support. I think that liberates those democrats a little bit to do to do a little more on the big kind of partisan reconciliation package, right? Like this is a dynamic you probably could speak to. Right? Yeah, well you look you've got tons of you got look, we
0: got republicans who are safe in their seats and we got democrats who are safe in their seats. We've got a lot of members out there who are in districts where they were able to, you know, Pull together enough of a coalition to win those seats uh, and hold on to them uh, that are not safe. Uh, there are you know you know the people that uh, the Republicans are coming after this year uh, in 2022. The Republicans that are gettable the, the those GOP suburban women, younger Republicans, college educated Republicans they they don't like the counter majoritarian um, stuff that's happening. Uh, they didn't. Really, uh, they might have liked Trump policies. They didn't like where Trump was taking their party. So getting to your question, in those districts, yeah, th- those moderate, those Democrats that are in those kind of districts that can articulate, yeah, we got a bipartisan, we worked with Biden and the and we got, and uh, the other side, and we reached across the aisle, and we got a bipartisan, we passed a bipartisan commission together. We got uh bipartisan infrastructure uh, bill passed that's going to help us win those seats and that's where you know i keep saying to the progressives you know who say no we got to be pure we got to do this yeah try that in idaho it's not going to happen okay i mean we just have to be grow up a little bit about yeah. the reality not just the reality of how to win in some of these places but the reality of the precipice we're all standing on right now that to, this is the wrong time when you have yeah. a 40 seat majority in the house fight for purity all you want. But right now, um, all those different pressures that are pushing down right now, we, it would be good to have some accomplishment, some bipartisanship, if we can get it. And if we can't, you know, that's that's a different story too. But at least then, I still think we can get a lot of those Republicans because if, it's, if, it, if a Democratic member in Congress has time and time again, like Joe Biden has uh, as president... Tried for bipartisanship, tried for bipartisanship, as Joe Manchin's been doing, tried and tried and pushed and pushed at every turn. No, 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 no. I still think that's our best chance then yeah. for those people to make the case. We tried, we really worked at it. They slapped our they slapped us away. They're counter-majority, anti-Democratic Party now. And and you have to vote, you have to think hard about yes. I know you've never voted for a Democrat in your life, but you've never voted for an autocrat
1: either, I hope. Right. It's not and that it's not easy. I, yeah. I, I often, I get a, I, I, I can't help but laugh sometimes at, at the fact that on Twitter, like, you know, people who are speaking to their own followers are absolutely certain that they know how to win in in districts that are plus five Republican better than the people who actually won races in them.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I got a lot of that. Like, you know, you're, you're a strategist and you've worked in some of this territory. I've never done anything like that. So I imagine you really, really get this. Oh, yeah. No, I
0: mean, I, I, I can tell you, you know, I, I've had rooms in Alabama where the the undecided white men were openly cuz they thought they were the only one you know they 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 lose track of who's watching and it's somebody on the you know listening in and they're you know ardently talking about how fantastic it is to be in a room together with a bunch of white men like them because the you know the you know country's gone off the deep end with all this diversity stuff so you know and when you and you're watching this room and realize I somehow have to win Three out of every ten guys in that room in the state of Alabama, and this was in 2017, for Doug Jones to win, he had to win three of those folks. Not you know, three, you know, and um, and it wasn't by the way by being left or right. It was mostly um, we just kept making the argument we had that we had to um, find common ground. There had to be things as as. You know, one Alabama. We had to, and and hopefully that two or three of those guys would hear that. It would understand that maybe it is better for us to get along and try to find a way to progress together than to have some big, uh, ugly, you you know, Virgin Civil War kind of, you know, uh, fight. You know, you're my where we're all enemies, and you know, basically. Six, with Trump pounding away, six or seven of them still wanted to be enemies, right? But two or three, and that was enough of a margin uh, for for uh, Doug Jones to win in 2017. 2020, it's a presidential year. Trump's now banged and banged the drum of division and hate for three years. And you you could none of them, no, you're all in it you know it was it was enemy, everybody was an enemy. they weren't listening, no matter what we said, there was just no space. um I think Biden's creating some of the space, I think in all the no, 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 we can pick up some of those voters who who do really want to be a country moving forward together and not you know fighting it out you know with outrage constant outrage and anger at each other and particularly the women i mean that, that's one thing that we we saw in 2018 but you know suburban gop women they don't want, i don't think they want to go back they would often talk about how they felt that they were hanging by their fingernails off the edge of a cliff every day and they just they just wanted to end that not forget about issues that they they just wanted to end that constant fighting um, and that's diminished a little bit and hopefully enough that we'll, we'll have some breakthroughs in 2022. Greg, I, I really thank you for, um, you know, for agreeing to do this and, uh, uh, you know, special Tuesday edition. Fine, man. Yeah, no, I was like, I was so anxious to get you as soon as you said yes, I was like, let's go. So uh, you could find Greg's work on the Plum Line blog at the Washington Post and we'll include the links in the show notes. And on Twitter at GS. As usual, if you have a race you want to spotlight or a question, please submit it on iTunes in the review section. Uh, give us a rating while you're there. Or email us at ThatTrippyShow at gmail.com. And we'll see you at our regular Friday show uh, in a few days. Thanks, Greg.